As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, it is me, Eric Corrine, The Athletic, Raptors writer. And I've been getting tweets. I've been getting comments in the the comments section of uh, some of my articles, which, yes, sometimes I do read the comments against my doctor's advice. And they're all saying, where's the pod? Where's the new podcast? Just because he who shall not be named left, you can't have a podcast for us fine subscribers and, and listeners. Uh, and I can, and I will. And I told, when I saw those comments, I was like, in time and time, we were waiting to, uh, dot the proverbial I's, cross the, per- cross the proverbial T's, uh, as you may not know, or as you probably do know, my old pal Blake Murphy has returned to his home planet. And thus we are retiring the Raptors Reasonableist podcast. It will always live on in spirit, of course. But uh, to replace that, uh, we are going back to the future, a movie that I think my new co-host has seen, but I, I'm not positive because pop culture is always a risk uh, with her. And uh, yeah, we used to host a podcast called The Post Up, uh, which ended in January 2016. This podcast, which I should probably introduce... <laughs> Is uh, is called Jurassic Pod. Welcome to it. This is the first el- episode. Holly McKenzie, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. That was quite the intro. Um, I don't know if I've seen that movie or not. Is that is that the first movie in the sequel? Is that the sequel? Is Back sequel? to the Future. Back to the Future is the first movie. It is uh, followed up by Get This. Back to the Future 2. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and there is a third one in that installment, in uh, in that series. This is yes. Mar- Marty McFly? That is Marty McFly. Very good. I haven't seen uh, the movie, but I know it just because um, once upon a time, uh, I worked with Nike Basketball, and they had the, the Back to the Future shoes, the Marty McFly lacing. Oh, wow. The, yeah, anyway. Anyway, yeah, that's that's no. my that's my um, contribution. But I yeah, will it all, say, I feel like it all ties pop- it all ties into basketball somehow. I feel like my pop culture knowledge has gotten 
has like done uh, has gone zero to eighteen million since we last hosted um, a pod. You, yeah, you certainly upped uh, upped your intake. I will say, um, courtesy of you lending me um, the Wire DVDs back when we had to like put DVDs in our computers, which feels yeah. so archaic yeah. now. Um, but yeah. yeah. Um, I no longer, I, actually, I think my DVD player, we, uh, my wife and I just moved uh, and I think I discovered that I still have my <laughs> DVD player. Uh, so that's something to think about the future. Uh, anyway, we're going to talk about the Raptors in this podcast. Uh, we're going to come to you more or less weekly, uh, depending on my travel schedule and Holly's schedule, but we're going to try to make it weekly. We're going to try to make it earlier in the week rather than later but again these things will vary as needed but uh we hope you'll uh you'll tune in and stick around and uh give us a try and uh we the last time i believe we did a podcast uh holly it was a live it was a live podcast uh it was very sad it was very sad because our uh i had just been laid off by uh my former company and i believe i was also starting to feel the effects of having (laughs) mono um so it was it was a good time for me so i'm glad we're revisiting (laughs) that now i think it was the frickin on king um if i remember correctly i feel like that was the year that the timberwolves were going to be amazing in my heart and then I'm, I'm still waiting so well look it was yeah. that it was probably zach levine <laughs> zach levine related back then and and uh we we will have zach levine to talk about in a little bit uh but let's jump into it. Let's talk about the Toronto Raptors. It's been a little while for me. It's been a little while for you. Yeah. Uh, the Toronto Raptors, they're one in three. Not totally unpredictable record. Uh, I would not have picked the games to go as they <laughs> went necessarily, which only, I, I don't know how frequent of a listener you were of the podcast last year. My prediction record was terrible. Uh, and so. Out. So that would have continued again <laughs> this year, which is funny because like basketball is probably of the major sports. It's probably the least susceptible to major upsets. Like the the best teams win 75 to 80% of the time. And that isn't necessarily the case. And certainly not the case in baseball, not the case in hockey. Um, but I was really bad last year and uh, I would have started bad this year. They, uh, Sort of laid a big old <laughs> egg on uh, opening night, losing in wa- or to Washington, uh, beat the Celtics in Boston, where the Raptors, better Raptors teams mm-hmm. than this one, I dare say, <laughs> have lost early season games in multiple heartbreaking, actually maybe just one heartbreaking fashion. I think it might have been just the same vague fashion <laughs> over and over again. Every year, yeah. Yeah, uh, they sort of ran out of gas against the Mavericks. Uh, on Saturday on a back-to-back, and then uh, one bad spurt sort of did them in against the Chicago Bulls and our old friend, DeMar DeRozan. Where do you want to start, Holly? I want to start with the fact that we are back. Basketball's back. The Raptors are back. We don't have to see photos and watch games from Amelie Arena. Like, no offense 
to Tampa. Um, I, I love how I love how everybody still says that. It's like no offense to Tampa, as if like the three I know. converted the three converted Raptors fans who are, were just didn't care about them before, who lived in Tampa, <laughs> now are like Raptors dieheads. Hards are listening to every press conference listen, and podcast about the Raptors. Listen, if I was one of those three fans, I would feel attacked. So to those yeah. fans who jumped on board and cheered and didn't boo the Raptors at home games last year, I see you and I salute you thank you and i never want to see emily arena again yeah offense to tampa that's my (laughs) that's that's my official stance um i was there on opening night and it was really really cool uh it was my first proper game i had been to preseason games i was in summer league in uh in august but my first regular season game since the raptors last played in uh scotiabank arena on february 28th 2020 uh so more than 19 months and the crowd was amped up uh i was a little disappointed that doug Tranquata didn't <laughs> put the mic out to the yeah, fans to yeah, let them yeah. i i get that you're reserving that for the playoffs uh for the spine tingling moment uh but the crowd was as good as you would have hoped uh and you just wish that the performance mm. would have been as good as you would have hoped but uh uh as as we sort of learned over the course of these first four games, I think if there's any big takeaway, it's something that could have been safely predicted. Uh, it's that this team is going to struggle in the half-court offense. Yeah, um, I want to backtrack. I'm sorry to no, 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 throw that's you fu- for that's a loop, fine. but I just want to say, fine. you know the last game that you saw in person? Yes, I have no is, memories of it, yes. But, but I... Was- I, I it was the Hornets, right? I, I know that it was Charlotte, but I do yeah. not remember anything about that game. I went to that game because I had an interview set up pregame and then it didn't happen. So then I went home before the game started because <laughs> I had work to do. And yeah. I thought, well, I can't get my interview done. I got to get other stuff done that I have on deadline. I'll come to the next game and we'll hook it up. And, see it. and I talked to PR and it was like, once we get back from the road trip, we'll make sure like this happens. And I left and well, yeah, (laughs) I've never, I've never regretted missing a random, um, you know, February, March game against the, against. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is the definition of a random, like (laughs) Raptors. I've said this many times in this podcast and I believe in my articles, like Raptors Hornets is shorthand for like a, you know, quote unquote, meaningless regular season yeah. game. <laughs> like it's Raptors Hornets on a, in a Wednesday in February. And that was actually Raptors Hornets on a Friday in February. So, so yeah, uh, that's like the whole, uh, like never take things for granted. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I think that was sort of one of not the only overarching uh, lessons <laughs> of the pandemic uh, that we're hopefully still learning uh or not not hopefully still learning but we're we're able to put it back into practice and we're experiencing in any number of ways uh because for a long time uh, for again for almost 20 months i forgot what it was like uh or, or couldn't experience what it was like to play in front of a full arena of fans uh and or, or to watch a game in front of a, in a full arena of fans and toronto really brought it the raptors fans who were there who were nice and vaccinated, uh, who were largely masked up, except when they're not supposed to be. It's still a bit weird for me in my brain that there's a full arena 
not a criticism, just, you know, after so long, it's, it's strange. Um, but I, I'm sure it was nice for the fans. Uh, and I think if we were to pick out one highlight from that yeah. particular game, yeah. it, uh, you know, if we're not going to talk about Delano Banton's oh, smile, his, his smile, <laughs> I said, if we're, we're not going to just okay. talk about okay. his smile when he was introduced <laughs> with the reserves and got like, uh, again, a remnant of the past podcast, got the hometown pop, uh, <laughs> uh the cheap pop, uh, hello, Toronto. Uh, you bring on like the hometown kid, uh, it was certainly his third quarter and fourth quarter burst, mm-hmm. uh, inc- which included his half court heave. Yeah, what a what a dream first NBA game, you know? Like regardless of where it was, you're playing for your hometown team that you like were rooting for. Uh, I saw an interview, or I saw, I didn't see, I listened to an interview that Delano did uh, with William Liu and Alex Wong on their Raptors show, and yeah. they had asked him like. How did they, they were like, which Raptor, who's the most underrated Raptor? Like in your opinion, as a fan, like who was the most underrated Raptor? I was totally prepared for him to name someone like, you know, from the, from the distant past. And he says, OG. (laughs) He's like, like, yeah, when OG was drafted, like, yeah, I definitely thought he was underrated. And I just thought that was like a perfect choice to really illustrate like, how crazy this must be for him because he was that fan during the championship run, like rooting for OG, wanting OG to be like having a bigger role and be like more respected by the fans. And now he's playing alongside OG at the, at the home opener and the crowds, you know, giving him the loudest ovation of the night. And it was incredible. I could not stop smiling, just like watching him thinking of what this moment would mean. And then him getting that stretch into the third, um, fourth quarter was incredible yeah it's i mean that makes perfect sense because like as a fan the the championships you probably are able to appreciate the most are the ones in like your late teens or early 20s which like overlap with you know the most disposable time you might have (laughs) in in your life And, and and like for me like the Jays won the World Series in when I was seven and eight years old, but I, I like was still too new to sports to like really truly right. appreciate it. When the Raptors won, you know, I'm covering it. Like it was a professional moment of a lifetime, but it, mm-hmm. it completely completely warps that. Like, but so the championship that like I was most excited for in the moment was like when Syracuse won the NCAA uh, (laughs) title when I was 18 or or 17 turning 18. So it makes perfect sense that like Delano Banton, who would have been about the same age when the Raptors won the title, like is like, yeah, OG's underrated. Like, cause those (laughs) were his, like, those would have been like the most, you know, as Vince, as the Vince Carter teams were to me, that team and like the, the later DeMar teams would have been to him. Um, so it, it makes sense that he's, he's coming with that answer and, and yeah, now, now they're teammates. It was wild. <laughs> yeah. I um, thought that was so fun. Uh, so yeah, we don't need to go over, uh, the game in, in detail. They really did just didn't have much of a spark in that game, despite getting, I believe it ended up being 17 more field goal account- attempts than, <laughs> than the, uh, than the Wizards. Uh, they had some trouble finishing, uh, around the hoop that has continued. That is, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I needed to uh, ask, you know, before we switch, I have yeah, yeah. to ask you this. 
I know that you don't tend to um, cry at NBA games, <laughs> uh, uh, but was there any part of you that was emotional at any point, whether it was the beginning, um, the anthem, just like to be back? Like maybe it wasn't like a crying kind yeah, of emotion, yeah. but like. Uh, I'll tell you when it was. It was um, that I, I don't know if it was a poem or like a there was like a word. video with like a spoken word, like that. I, I was not crying, and I don't say that because I'm too much of a man to cry or anything like that. I just, like, I'm not going to sit here and lie about crying. I wasn't. But, like, you could feel, like, your throat getting caught or, or yeah. like, your your eyes getting a little – I don't know why I'm talking in the second person. <laughs> I, I, I could feel, like, my eye, like got my eyes sort of warming up uh in the in the back of i i can't really describe the feeling but i think people probably yeah, know yeah, what sure. i'm feeling like it, it was and just the way the crowd was with that and, and talking about the city which like you know we've both been in toronto basically throughout the entire pandemic uh mm-hmm. and we've seen it empty uh in the streets we've seen things progress to where they were in the summer of 2020 to where they went back to in the winter that followed to where they are now. We, we've watched this team, you know, have to make the journey it's been on and lose some friends along the way. I, I, I'm, you know, talking about the players who left and not, you know, the bigger tragedies, of course. Um, but yeah, like, like that moment when you combine the video with the spoken word with, Mm-hmm. The noise the fans were making, I I was pretty touched. Uh, <laughs> I would say at that moment, it was it was cool. Uh, I don't know if it will like rank in my like top five or ten Raptors moments in my life, but it it was definitely they did it well. I thought uh, it's one you won't forget just because. I mean. Well, because of the yeah. 19 months that preceded <laughs> yeah. it, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I only asked because I was quite emotional. Sure, that's not a shock to anyone who knows me at any to any degree. Uh, but I really noticed that like so many of my friends and fans and people in all levels really were messaging me about the game. And sometimes some were writers that you know don't cover the Raptors but are in other cities – Everyone was really just like, wow, I can't imagine that this team spent an entire season away from their home arena, their home base, uh, especially on top of being away for the bubble, which had, you know, preceded that. So, yeah, yeah just, and you it, heard, you've, you've heard like Fred Van Vliet and Nick Nurse talk a lot about it. Uh, and like, while being careful to say, like, we're not <laughs> in some grave situation here of compared course. to the people who have been really, really affected by the pandemic, uh, I think their message has been we sort of didn't know what we were missing necessarily right. until they got back and then they realized what they didn't have. And it, it's, you know, it's not just a home court advantage, uh, which, by the way, hasn't helped them. They're own three. <laughs> um, but, uh, but although I'm sure it's nice to be able to rely on that, uh, but it's, you know, having an actual home, it's knowing, being, you know, very well mm-hmm. acquainted with the practice facility. It's getting into a routine that you can envision being yours for whether it's just the year or, or if you're, so, you know, somebody like Scotty Barnes, uh, or, or Fred Van Vliet, who's been here before, like where you picture it, uh, for a few years down the road. Uh, mm-hmm. it's just the, the sense of, 
you know, a, a, a <laughs> sense of home and a sense yeah. of quasi permanence, you know, mm-hmm. um, everything about last year felt fleeting. Um, uh, I think is the way I, I could put it like very like right up to the practice court. That was a converted ballroom. And <laughs> yeah. it's probably like, what's that practice court up to now? It's probably back to hosting ballroom events in, uh, yeah. in Tampa. So like everything felt very temporary then. And, and this is, you know, the natural order of things. Yeah. It's insane. Like, uh, sorry, I, you talking about being fam- things being familiar and being at home made me skip to like, something else that I hope we talk about, um, not to jump well, let's, let's, totally Let's ahead. get into it. Let's get well, into it. It was going to be DeMar and it was going to be like watching him in the game against Chicago, which was on Monday night, Monday night. Yes. Monday night, uh, down the stretch, like him hitting all of those, uh, you know, the shots yeah, that he, seen he had, for like he had, years. He had three big mid rangers, yeah. uh, in the final, I want to say four minutes, one was over Gary Trent. Mm-hmm. I believe one was over OG. Uh, I'm not sure who the third one was over. But it was, uh, as they say, vintage DeMar. And it, it really, it was very necessary because w- the Raptors were making quite a comeback. <laughs> yeah, the final quarter of that game was crazy because it was just like, oh, game's out of reach, Raptors are there. Game's out of reach, Raptors are there. Game's out of reach, Raptors are there. But the thing about DeMar that like what you were just saying made me think about as I was watching and then also today is when you play in an arena for so long from the moment you're drafted um, and then you get traded or you yeah you get traded but then it happens at such a weird time like I know pregame he spoke about this being his first time returning to the arena since the name had changed and fans were quick to point out that no he had been back I mean of course he forgot because the past two years have just been like uh, such a blur, but to come back. Yeah, and it's and- it's probably only natural to assume when there's been that much change <laughs> yeah. in the world since then that this is also yeah. like, that the name is also a thing that changed <clears throat> in the interim instead of in 2018. Uh, you know, so I, I'm not gonna hammer him for that. No, definitely certainly. not. But uh, down the stretch, as he's hitting those shots, and the crowd is kind of like they're not cheering, but they sort of are cheering. And it's like bittersweet, but like you don't want him to hit the shot, but you do want him to hit the shot. I wonder what it feels like for him in that in that environment. Like those are the same rims. It's the same court. But, you know. Yeah, I think he underplayed it after the game. Probably he was like, well, you know, these are he did. And I, you know, we've both been around him to have heard versions of this in the (laughs) past where he's like, these are the moments that like, you know, you dream of when you're a kid, like you, you imagine taking the big shots in any given game, you imagine making the big shots in any given game, especially for like somebody who grew up loving Kobe and taking Mm. shots that are, you know, not necessarily dissimilar to Kobe uh, <laughs> and you know as as a you know I don't think two guards exist anymore but as like a bigger wing right. player with his footwork is one of the legacy uh the guys who has carried on Kobe's legacy in that in that mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. and then to do it in Toronto where like there's a bit of a different vibe from the fans like it's not a typical road arena as you pointed out like I think he really relished that ability to to do it in that arena especially like and I and I don't think he was thinking of this but his previous Trip, yes, um, yes, uh, yes. Or, or the one his first trip back, it I should say, pain. it didn't go. Yeah, like he was, 
He was really good for a lot of that game, yeah. and he was picked by Kawhi at the end. Um, uh, he, Which he also, also feels like a lifetime ago now. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and who mis- I think Bryn Forbes took the final shot of that game. Anyway, uh, we don't need to go down that particular rabbit hole. But, like, you know, he wants... As Dwayne Casey always used to say, these guys will lie to you and tell you it's not an extra, it's like there's not a bit of extra motivation, but there's a bit of extra motivation. And and he did, you know, he's a guy and a type of guy that the Raptors certainly don't have right now to rescue possessions in that sense. And, And that, given the way Fred Van Vliet was sort of chasing Zach Levine around and, um, the way they were sort of swarming Vucevic and, and, you know, as it is, post touches aren't very common (laughs) down, down the stretch. It it was DeMar time and uh, he delivered and it was not what you want as a Raptors fan, but I I can't say it wasn't what I expected (laughs) as a a Raptors observer, you know? It's like oddly comforting to just see him hit the shot that we've seen him hit so many times. It's like, Oh yeah, this is normal. This, this makes sense. Um, I think that's a probably a good place to zoom out onto the sure. Raptors yeah. because, as I mentioned, they're lacking that. The guy who is creating the most in the half court, Fred Van Vliet, he can't just <laughs> spot up uh, or, or vault up and get off a you know an eighteen footer whenever he wants. He has to do it differently, and this is something I wrote at the Athletic. Uh, if you're listening to this. Hopefully you subscribe. If not, go do that. If if you're able to, I'd appreciate it. Um, that's that's the plug for today. But uh, the Raptors, as I was saying, their half court offense is a grind. And on yeah. nights when they're not able to turn over their opponents, and, and the first mm-hmm. two games they really could, the last two games uh, against Dallas, it was just Luca dissecting every defense. That there was a stretch in the. Th- I'm gonna going a bit of a digression here there was a stretch in the third quarter of that game where they just started doubling uh Doncic on the ball screen and how quick he got rid of the ball to the next guy who found the next guy if he didn't dunk like it was just (laughs) while the guy's still coming over the second the help is still coming over Doncic has got rid of the ball and you know the Mavericks are in two a two-on-one or three-on-two situation. It's really incredible to watch. And and with Chicago, you've got Levine and DeRozan who are able to, who have the size, the height, and the ball skills to create on their own. So there's not a huge amount of traffic necessarily on the ball. Uh, and when you surround them by with capable shooters, uh, it's it's not necessarily a team you're going to turn over a ton. They were able to do it in the fourth quarter, but I think the Bulls only had five turnovers through three, uh, mm-hmm. through, through, through three quarters. And um, again, zooming out, when that doesn't happen, there's going to be a lot on the offense. Uh, so what have your thoughts been on, on sort of the offense uh, struggling through, through <laughs> yeah, four games. you know, going into the season, I thought, okay, it's going to be really up and really down. And I think we've seen that um, to start in these first four games. Uh, it was interesting in the first two games, just 
turnovers that they created, but also just uh, the team seems to thrive when they're being chaotic. <laughs> so whether they are getting turnovers, getting out and running, it's funny to see the amount, uh, the rebound disparity, and also just the number of shots the Raptors got up in those first two games compared to the opponent compared to the opponents. Um, but yeah, I think half court slow is uh, it's going to be a challenge, especially until uh, especially without Pascal. Um, and I know a lot of people were, it seemed like a lot of fans were frustrated with Van Vliet last night. And to me, that's just a crazy take because he's doing everything that he can. He's not really in a position, he's not really being surrounded by uh, the right pieces to really improve the things that you just spoke on. And I know he did have a lot of turnovers and he did seem pretty upset about that today. But I mean, it's hard to ask for more than 17 assists. Yeah, he and he said he said today we're talking on Tuesday that uh he hopes that number doesn't get that high again, but he did point mm-hmm. out that he still had a two to one uh yeah. slightly slightly better than two to one assist to turnover ratio, which you will indeed take. But uh this is what I wrote about last night is he's gotta carry a not very talented offense or, or half court offense certainly he's the guy with the experience OG's trying to grow into mm-hmm. that role but his his certainly playmaking from a driving perspective is a lot more limited than what Fred can do uh he did have a he I think he had five assists last night uh I find weirdly that his playmaking is a lot better along the baseline than it is <laughs> middle middle on the floor I don't know what there is to say about that other than maybe he takes it baseline a little more than I think. Uh, but whether it was the third game against Dallas where he was accused of chucking in my mentions a lot, uh, and or, or this game where he's accused, or, or he turned, not, we don't have to say the word accused, he turned it over eight times. If anybody turns it over eight times, you're looking in that stat line. Sure. And say, whoa, that's, whoa, that's a lot. And it was a lot, but like, you know, if the guy has 17 assists and eight turnovers, and also I think he had 15 points, that just tells you how much the ball mm-hmm. is 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 in his hands. If if you have the chance to make, you know, <laughs> 20, 25 decisive plays with the ball, like I have news for you, there are only like about 100 possessions <laughs> in, a, in a game. So, uh, and when you take away the transition opportunities, there's only about 80 or 75 half-court possessions, and now I'm sure some of the assists and, and turnovers came in transition, although certainly not as many as Nick Nurse <laughs> would like. Um, but I think just the degree of difficulty mm-hmm. with which he is trying to work is so high right now that if he isn't striking the right balance every night, and he's not, like, let's be honest, this is his first time Mm-hmm. in this role for an extended period and he's not striking a perfect balance but i'm gonna have a lot of sympathy and leeway for him because i don't think it's wildly out of like like if he's like way way wrong on the balance that's one thing but if he's you know leaning a bit shot heavy or a bit forcing passes in there uh, from one game to the next i can't i can't get on him too much because i think he's he's playing with the right intent out there and just creating something on those possessions is just, it's such a tough ask. I think that you hit the nail on the head when you said um, it's a different role for him. And I think a lot of times people lose sight of that part because 
you know, he was a starter before. He averaged a lot of minutes. He played alongside Kyle. He played alongside Kyle Lowry, one of the best point guards in NBA history, you know, like take him out of that role and make him be the guy. It's not that I don't think he can do it, but I think it's definitely his minutes are a lot more difficult than they are when you're playing alongside a guard like Kyle Lowry. So I think that it's going to take him some time to find that balance that you speak of. And I also think it's going to take some time to develop chemistry with some of the newer guys, like especially some of those alley-oop passes to Precious. Um, I feel like he's got a pretty good feel with Kem, even though Kem still is relatively new. But I definitely think timing will come on some of those things. Um, And also just when you're playing a bigger role with a team that doesn't have as many offensive weapons um, as previous teams, Sometimes he is going to be that guy that has to take more shots than maybe even he would like. Uh, some nights it may work work out, and some nights it might not. The thing that Ken Birch has that's very valuable, I would say, to this team is like not an in between game in the sense of a mid range game, but like he can, when when Fred like drives in, he can sometimes come behind the play and get like a a a dump off pass behind Mm -hmm. him. So sort of in like the high paint as opposed to like right under the rim. And he has that 10 foot floater, eight foot floater that where Precious is like, he's always trying to finish (laughs) at the rim on a layup or he's taking a standstill jump shot. Um, Like uh, usually it turns out from three, you made his first three. I I forget what it was, (laughs) one one of these games, but he Precious hasn't developed that, in his game, and it's not surprising. This is his second year. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but Ken Birch has that in-between game for a big man, which is very useful. It just it creates a little more space out there for not only for driving lanes, but for passing lanes. Uh, and it creates different passing lanes for Van Vliet, who, again, is not 6'7", like DeMar, or 6'5", depends if he's wearing shoes, I suppose. Um <laughs> And he can't see over every defense, so he's got to look in between the defense sometimes, or he's got to sort of play it on feel. And when guys are presenting themselves at clearer in clearer spaces, that makes it easier for somebody like Van Vliet. The good news, I think, I'm, go- I'm going to say with some tentativeness, is... Yuta Watanabe, strained calf, yeah. and Pascal Siakam... Uh, recovering from surgery in his labrum. That was the surgery was done early July, I believe, early to mid-July, are both practicing. And from the sounds of it, they are practicing with at least moderate contact, if not more than that. Uh, details are fuzzy as they tend to be on <laughs> health issues. But uh I think we we sort of assumed it would be American Thanksgiving on, you know, if you were to bet late November for Pascal Siakam. Now, if it's closer to, you know, mid-November or, or, you know, maybe even second week of November, if we're staying super optimistic, that mm-hmm. seems within the realm of possibility. And that would really help. Pascal Siakam, yeah. the maligned Pascal Siakam, the king of inefficiency, the what happened to his three-point shot, that guy would help. <laughs> Pascal Appreciation Week to start the season, hey? Yeah, it's uh, the Joni Mitchell, you don't know what you got till it's gone. <laughs> and uh, uh, this is in no way trying to say Pascal Siakam has flourished in his sort of 1, 1B role over the last few years, whatever you want to call it. But shoot, 
give the Raptors another two. Like, (laughs) by two, I mean, like, in the pecking order. That would really help right now, (laughs) as opposed to uh, just another guy uh, to bring the ball up the floor and another guy who can create decently in the half court. You know, he's not going to do a ton of breaking down and getting into the middle of the floor, but he can do a bit more than the other guys on the floor who are who are currently healthy can and th- and that's that's going to be big. Uh, Listen, I, for I can't the believe we've I can't believe we've gotten this far without talking about Scotty Barnes. Yeah, like uh, what are big, we doing? What am I doing? Yeah, I mean you're in charge of the positivity on this podcast. I <laughs> I, I have to keep it real and point I out his to- fi- his five to seventeen assist to turnover ratio. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Listen, I have but, to say the past the past twenty months has really um, like brought down the the joy meter so yeah and uh <laughs> I, I bring up his assist turnover ratio uh yeah most mostly joking you know it is something that we can get into in a bit but i'll let you take this one overall impressions of you know we didn't get to talk in preseason so you can hit on preseason if you want but just the early days of the scotty yeah, yeah. barnes experience honestly i think he's so much fun like i know that the results haven't been what raptors fans would have liked to start the season, but also I don't think they've been shocking. I mean, the win in Boston, just the final score was shocking in a positive way. I don't think anyone saw that coming, but yeah, I think, I think one of the things that impressed me the most about Scotty in the preseason was his, was funny enough, his assists. Like I thought his playmaking surprised me. um, And I thought he was finding teammates a lot more, um, than I would have expected. Obviously, that changes a bit in the regular season when you're you yeah, know, yeah. playing against teams' best lineups. And yeah, there are not. there are actual <laughs> scouting reports as opposed yeah, to yeah. let's let's just go out and work on some of our stuff. <laughs> uh, what it's like, oh, this guy might be hesitant to take this sort of shot, so you could yeah. play off a of foot. It's a the pass again. The passing lanes might not be there, even though Scotty's <laughs> trying. He's trying to find them. <laughs> and yeah, and like last night, like Demar caught him, um, and uh, it was just like a classic Demar play. And Scotty's face was so like sheepish looking when he got caught, which was yeah, which was he, funny on both yeah. <laughs> both sides. Not again. Him, not him and him and Svi were both victims yeah. of the Demar pump fake, <laughs> uh, but. I just think he's been a lot of fun. And I mean, of course, I'm going to point to the Boston game more just because that was a great game to focus on the positives. But he was so calm in that game as he was beginning to take over. It really just felt like he didn't have any he wasn't rattled at all. And I thought that was really impressive. Um, And I also feel like his his energy. I know you have said like which teammate is going to get like which veteran is going to get tired of his energy and enthusiasm. But it was really cute to see the other players um, get as hyped up for him as, as he is for them. Like, especially like Fred, like after a make, like basically like pounding on his chest and like just being as, as excited. It, uh, I think he's been really fun and I think he's going to be really fun to watch with the caveat that, you know, there's it's going to be an up and down season all around, I think, for this team. For sure. And that will include, you know, a rookie who's being foisted into a role that, you know, on pure merit right. might be a bit, especially right now without Siakam, uh, might be a bit ahead of where he quote unquote mm-hmm. should be. Saying that, um, he's been on, like, he's been very, very good in these first games. I, I think. 
you know, while he's not yet a lockdown defender, you can see how he doesn't mm-hmm. look out of place in any particular matchup. Uh, and the more reps he gets defending NBA actions, especially off the ball, and I, I noticed this more in the preseason than than in the regular season, actually, in the game against Washington, when Bradley Beal was doing some of the stuff he does to get mm. open, like, like Scotty Barnes was often like just leading the the incorrect way. And the more he gets to cover players like that, players who, and I asked him about that, he's like, yeah, it's totally different than college. College mm-hmm. is just like pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll. <laughs> and like, yeah. you know, nothing's going on off the ball here. Like guys come flying around screens all the time and, and you have to navigate to screens, sometimes two screens that are right next to each other. Mm-hmm. We've seen the Raptors run those sort of plays uh, to get Kyle or Fred shots in the past. Um, and the more he gets the chances uh, to defend those types of players, uh, the better and more versatile of a defender he'll become. Uh, on offense, yeah, he's got a, I, I think, where what's limiting him right now isn't necessarily his lack of jump shot, although, and I should mostly say three point shot. He's looked pretty decent Mm -hmm. uh, in the mid range when he's deigned to take it. Um, But I would say like almost his, that the tightness of, or or the looseness, I guess, of his handle is showing in that, like he's not that comfortable taking it, uh, trying to make plays uh, with the ball on the floor rather than passing. Uh, mm-hmm. in tight spaces. And so I wonder if like putting him as a screener maybe a bit more and pick and rolls might help unlock that passing where it's just like cat or set the screen, roll, and then either make the pass or finish at the rim. Like, like you, you're not necessarily putting the ball on the floor a ton mm-hmm. uh, unless he's the guy who's bringing it up the floor off a miss or a turnover or whatever it may be. That, that's just something I've been, I'm thinking about right in this moment because you do want to unlock his passing. Like that's one of his best traits is his mm-hmm. like natural playmaking. Um, so they're going to have to find ways to do that. Part of that's just on him to learn if they're sagging off him. We saw this with, you know, I'm not comparing him to Giannis, but we saw Giannis over time, somebody who was being dared to shoot and mm-hmm. players were playing off him. You start to use that space as a runway, not as like, a detriment you use it as a place to get ahead of ahead of steam and i think that's something that barnes is going to have to do over time again this is you know week number one of season number one um but if where you're looking if you do want to unlock that passing those are like some areas where he's going to have to make headway as the season and certainly his his career progresses but He's been really good, man. I mean, he's, I, I'm not, I, I, you know, man was an exclamation. I was not calling <laughs> you man. Uh, and, Call me man. You know, I, 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 think, I think Raptors fans are already in love with the kid. Yeah, I mean, well, it's hard not to be, right? He, he just seems like a joy, truly. Like, he seems really good, really fun, really passionate about being in, in Toronto, which is cool. Um and yeah, I mean, kind of what you were saying about the Washington game uh, being against Beal, I think it'll be interesting to see how his game develops, but also how he adapts as he learns player tendencies and just the NBA game more, you know, like I think you said, it's just been a week. Um, I think some of that will just be like experimenting, seeing what he can do, what he feels comfortable doing um, and 
seeing how he responds to feedback from the coaching staff who I'm sure are telling him things as well. In general, and this is like an OG Holly McKenzie oh, no. vi- vibe. <laughs> it's a fun rookie class. Like I, yeah. I, I yeah, think yeah, we're yeah, gonna yeah. have. Oh no, it's like the best thing I can say to you. It's like these <laughs> these rookies are fun, and like between Jalen Green scoring thirty the other night, Evan Mobley's been like really good in Cleveland. Uh, Suggs and Cunningham, I know, are both gonna have their moments, and will have big roles. Chris Duarte Duarte had his opening yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm missing a lot of guys. I, I no, know, it's, but it's 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 a fun class. I, I'm pretty. It definitely uh, you know, is. It's too early to call this, you know, 1996 or 2003. But I think <laughs> this is gonna be certainly uh, when we look back on it. I'm pretty confident this will be like an above average draft class. And and Scotty Barnes, I think based on his first week, we can say will yeah. be a significant part of that, and that's what you hope for. Yeah, uh, I definitely think that the fans who were feeling lots of different ways on draft night uh, are now way more oh on board with um, with the decision the Raptors went. And I know this isn't this isn't um, rookie talk, but I just have to mention since we're talking about young players who are really good, and I haven't gotten to talk about him in so long. Ja Morant, oh my goodness. Oh, yes. Uh, I don't think I could love a player more, like in every aspect, like on court, off court, the way he deals with media, the way he deals with criticism. Like I am a John Morant stand. Oh, my God. Yeah. In the athletics uh, staff poll, I picked Taylor Jenkins to be coach of the year. I think. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. uh, I think if like any team is going to break in like surprisingly in the Western conference Mm -hmm. into the top six. And and like, there are like eight teams. (laughs) There are eight teams that I think like you would justifiably say these are going to be the top eight teams. And I don't think Memphis is not like coming into the season, at least was necessarily one of them. But I think if one team from outside that group is going to break inside to it and maybe into the top six or five, Memphis would be my pick. Uh, I just think they have so much, so many interesting things going on there. But as you mentioned, it's Jaw that stirs the old drink. What drink is popular in Memphis? I don't know. Um, Does Memphis uh, say Coke or do they say cola or soda? Sorry. Do they say I don't know. No, I've, they don't say pop. But I've never I've never been to uh, Memphis. It's one of really? the few. Yeah. I'm actually, so next week I'm doing my first game ever. This is the last Eastern Conference team I have to check off or arena I have to check off. I've never been to a game at MSG. So this will be my first what? game at MSG. I know it's impossible, um, but true. And How then, is that true? That's so strange. So, but before the, and the reason I'm bringing this up before I continue with the story is, uh, Memphis is also a place I've never been, and thus an arena I haven't been to. But before the pandemic, the the trip I had to cancel, uh, which was in late March, was a New York-Memphis back-to-back. No. Um, and I was going to write about Marcus Gasol, and I was going to write about JV. Oh, wow. and, uh, oh my heart. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then the first thing that happened, and I believe, I believe this happened – on the night that Rudy Gobert and then Donovan Mitchell tested positive, um, I I believe either that night or one day before, New York ruled that, like, you could not come flying into the 
uh, or, or something happened that the athletic had said, mm-hmm. we're not traveling mm-hmm. to New York right now. And like that same night I was fighting to continue the trip to mm-hmm. Memphis. I was like, this is the hill I'm going to die on. <laughs> and well, like, it's going to be fine. I'm going to, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and so like within eight hours, the season was on, you know, permanent, not permanent, on, you, on, on hiatus, uh, in hiatus, on hiatus. Uh, so that was a stupid little, not even argument, but conversation I had with my editor at the time. Like, I think we should still go to Memphis. <laughs> that would have been great. Great. Uh, did you, like, thinking of that day that the um, jazz game uh, was was canceled and, you know, Rudy tested uh, positive, um, or we found out Rudy, Rudy had tested positive. Um, d- going into that game, like, going into that week, did you have any idea that, that like this was going to be a serious thing. Um, I believe I remember seeing, I don't know if it was on CNN or 60 minutes. Uh, he says a 75 year old, um, but I, <laughs> I saw like a report on like China in COVID or, or COVID mm-hmm, in China mm-hmm. and how uh, like f- delivery people were, wearing masks and showing like right. printouts of their temperatures at the time to to the people they were delivering to and i was like whoa this is a different world this is um, a thing yeah and but i don't think it's i still don't think it struck me that um it was necessarily going to come here and be a a big deal as evidenced by the fact that immediately after that game against Charlotte, two days later, I wasn't, (laughs) no, no, that, but also I went on a trip to the Dominican Republic, like the week before that happened. Like we, we flew to the Dominican (laughs) Republic and um, my wife's parents were on a cruise in, uh, in, I I think not in that part of Asia, but somewhere in Asia, uh, uh, I think closer to Thailand and, and Vietnam, Southeast Asia is the phrase I'm looking for. Um, and so we got back and they got back. And I think and I, I feel relatively safe saying this now, 20 months uh, after the fact. We got together that Friday Um and afterward, we were like, we probably shouldn't. It was like a family dinner, like 10 or 12 oh, people, boy. maybe. Yep. And then yep. after, we're like, we probably shouldn't have done that. And then, like, we didn't see anybody for the next, you know, three months, essentially. Uh-huh. Um, so, no, I didn't have an idea that it was going <laughs> yeah. to happen. Well, I, I was even sort of denying it as it was happening. Uh, and I was not the really opposite. thinking it through. Yeah, well, yeah, you, you, you've you turned into a, a high alert uh, type person. person. Over these, yeah, these years, for yes. once, my, the like once in a lifetime, hopefully, event um, was the one time my paranoia paid off. And I remember the day of that jazz game getting canceled. I got home just before the game because I made a trip to two different grocery stores and bought so much like so many groceries um mostly coffee if we're being real like mostly my iced coffee um that I had to take a cab home like I had to cab home because I was like I'm not leaving my house for the next month and obviously that sounded intense but (laughs) but then you know three hours later the NBA season was halted and CNN was starting the coverage and it's just like it's just crazy to think that I 
I was that nervous, but never could I have thought that we would have two NBA seasons that um, weren't in Toronto at that point. Like, it's just such a weird, a weird thing. And of course, my brain always thinks of the passage of time relating to the NBA season. Like, I always think of like September sort of as like a new year almost. But oh, my yeah. brain when, you, when your life is re- revolves around this, it only makes sure that only makes sense that uh, you use it as a basic guide like a marker, to how you right? think about time. Yeah. Luckily and, for me, it's like the start of the, the the NBA season is usually like three weeks or a month after the Jewish New Year. So like it's not ooh, this this okay. foreign. Yeah, you can just <laughs> start to celebrate Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> Um, anyway, sorry, I, I probably took you off whatever line of no, no, it was on. just that the past two years, like in my brain, the Raptors won the championship, Kawhi left, there was a home opener, a few home games, and then everything else that's happened from that point is like one like ball of a season to me. Like, you covered every game, but do you in your brain is 2000 and like the year the Lakers won in the bubble. Is that separate in your brain to the to the Bucks like winning, the, or is that? Yeah, I mean, I I know intellectually that it is, but it doesn't feel much different. No, like I know there were two champions, but it feels of the same thing because we were having so many of the same conversations and conversations yeah. that we'd never had before. Like like the, the conversations, you know, the conversations evolved, mm-hmm. but we hadn't talked about them at all previously. And all of a sudden they were defining conversations. Um, so yeah, I, I get what you're saying with that. And uh, when it's like, you're spending so much time in front of your television, watching these things unfold, I think it's only natural that they should feel one and the same. And yeah, I am still very sad that Kyle Lowry didn't get to play his final Raptors season. That, that I thought of here. that before last season. I was like, what if this is his last home yeah. game? And I think I said it to be a jerk at the beginning of the season. And then I was yeah. right. Uh, let's just zoom through a few things. 30 seconds, 45 seconds on a few players or topics. And uh, then we can take you home. Um, OG, what have you thought of his, his game so far? Uh, really up and down, you know, when he looks good, he looks really good. And then when he looks not good, it's very like, uh Oh, what's happening here. But I think, I think kind of similar to Fred, Fred's, Fred's playing a similar role, but in a different um, degree of attention, I guess. I feel like OG's still growing into yeah. a much bigger role. You know, I probably described uh, there's, there's, a, but there's more general patience with what him trying to grow right now, as opposed yeah. to Van Vliet, who's like, ex- as a veteran, is mm-hmm. expected to be the sum of, or, or maybe the peak of himself at this point. I'm really uh, looking forward to seeing what OG looks like after the return of Pascal. Like, I'm curious to see how his game develops and like the, the role, the the scope of the role he's taking with Pascal here. You know, I feel like right now it's kind of a bigger ask for everybody. And I think that maybe the pressure of that is kind of 
clouding how, how we're viewing and expecting people to be or what their performances are. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how OG is once we have Pascal yeah. on the floor as well. I, I, I will say his shot selection has improved dramatically since opening mm-hmm. night. Uh, even though he had a bad shooting night against Boston, it was a lot more aggressive uh, in general and getting to the rim. And uh, he still looks more comfortable as an off-the-ball threat. But while saying that, I think his movement off the ball, the way he's getting those looks has at Mm -hmm. times improved. Again, it's hard in this offense because there isn't a lot of space (laughs) to go to. Yeah. But I, 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 you know, he's making some interesting cuts and back cuts that I haven't necessarily seen a ton out of him in the past. Um, What are you, what, what, sorry, go on. Sorry. I was going to, I was going to take this one. What do you think Utah will bring um, once he does return? Uh, He's got the IQ. I, I think he's yeah. no... First of all, I was more of a believer in it, that his shot last year was real than not. Uh, I, I think his percentage was a lot more uh, reliable. I, I would be more willing to bank on him duplicating that than, say, mm-hmm. Chris Boucher duplicating it. And maybe mm-hmm. that's just like me hating the mechanics on Chris's shots or, or just the way like I, I I mean he has a weird shot I and it's uh, it's it's a slingshot type thing and I don't think that's how you would teach anybody to shoot it certainly has worked for Chris but like uh, it's just hard to watch and it takes a while whereas I think Utah's shot is more you know quote-unquote mm-hmm. normal so I mm-hmm. think he'll he'll bring that he'll bring a more more reliable spacing more understanding of where to be and where to move, not just where to stand, but where to move to, um, Mm -hmm. which should help the Raptors offense function a little bit better in the half court. And of course he's one of the, you know, just another defensive versatile defender. Um, I, right now I wouldn't be mad at him taking Svee's minutes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that's sort of where we see it going. I think that Uh, would be surprising if that didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And quickly, uh, Malachi Flynn hasn't played a meaningful minute yet. Uh, How surprised are you about that? Yeah, I was going to ask you the same question. I'm oh, surprised. I'm I very thought, surprised. Yeah, I, I thought like just because the Raptors had done it in the past, I mm-hmm. I thought they would find a way to play three point guards. Um, again, I think we're talking about. I, I've seen people saying bench. Dragic, which I don't think you do. Like, even if you don't think he should be on this team, like you can't just bench him because then mm-hmm. the hope of getting something for him at the deadline or before is nil. And it will, you know, you'll have to buy him out. And that's not what, you know, the, the team wants to do. But also I think like he's good enough that he can give, he's definitely better than he's showed, or, or I think he's better mm-hmm. than he showed. And I think what he does bring in a better version of himself would be very useful for this team, certainly. Um, but because they've played three point cards before, I thought they would find a way to play all three. Instead, uh, Nick Nurse has gone with a bit more size and a bit more shooting and Svee, and Svee does have a bit of uh, playmaking, like sort of secondary playmaking, but still because, you know, just because of the direction this team is going and because he was a draft pick, uh, Last year, uh, the team's first round draft pick, I thought we'd see him. It's been Svi, it's been Banton in his like cameo, eight minute cameos <laughs> per yeah. night. I don't like, I'm not going to get that mad over like those eight minute cameos. I understand why 
somebody like a natural energy guy like Banton, um, somebody who can, who does benefit with the ball mm-hmm, in his hands, mm-hmm. but doesn't necessarily need it. I understand why he's getting those type of minutes, but I thought like if I thought that Flynn would be in the regular rotation, yeah. even if it were only ten or twelve minutes a night to start. Yeah, and so, I was. And so, I was very so I'm, surprised. I'm surprised. Yeah. Especially considering the way the end of last season shook out. I mean, he had some really good performances and I just, I definitely thought he would be, as you said, in the regular rotation. And I'm curious to see how that evolves um, going forward, especially, I think I was especially surprised just because it feels like Nick is trying different things. Like he, he's kind of said, like he's trying to figure out lineups that work, bench uh, lineups that work, things like that. And because there's been a lot of like trying to figure out what sticks and what works, that's why I'm surprised that. I'm actually been- like, I'm going to, I'm going to f- push back just a little bit on that. Like I'm surprised how few guys he's really given a shot. Like it's mostly been eight guys yeah. and Boucher has been the ninth on a very short but leash not, yeah. coming on. And he had the, he hasn't, you know, somebody asked him about his up and down play, asked Nick Nurse about up and down play. And he, mm-hmm. he said after the Dallas game, I haven't seen much up. And then he yeah. sort of walked those back and, and said, you know, he's just coming back from an injury. So it shouldn't be mm-hmm. a huge surprise. But he hasn't got a long leash. And for such a, you know, a positive contributor last year, like I, I thought this team would lean on a long rotation, not I like, think that I think that's what I mean. Sorry. Yeah, like, I thought this I team like would we- lean playing nine guys real minutes mm-hmm. with like 10th and 11th guys getting cameos Coming as in opposed and out, to yeah. eight guys getting real minutes and sometimes you get a ninth and a 10th. And that doesn't sound like a big deal, but that's why we're having this conversation about Malachi Flynn, really. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with Nick is we're, we're so used to him trying different things um, and being willing to experiment that the fact that there hasn't been as much as I would expect has been surprising, but especially surprising that Flynn hasn't been part of that. Uh, but again, like I'm not going to, I don't think it's as big of a deal as maybe some people who are wondering why he's not playing is it still is a week into the season, but I definitely am curious to see how that unfolds. Yeah. And Nick nurse said uh, today, Tuesday at practice, uh, he's been in the discussion uh, mm-hmm. and he didn't use these words, but my impression was sooner rather than <laughs> later, he uh, will get it on the court in some meaningful minutes. Uh, the week to come, very quickly, home against Indiana on Wednesday, home against the Orlando Magic in the Jeff Walt- Weltman slash Scotty Barnes slash Jalen Suggs Bowl <laughs> on Friday, uh, back in Indiana on Saturday, and then depending when we talk to you next, Monday in New York. Uh, I'm not going to make you predict uh, like Blake made me predict. One, because I know you'd be uncomfortable with it. Two, because I don't want to be mean <laughs> like Blake was to me. Um, but uh, what Calling are like... Blake mean is like the most yeah uh, ridiculous claim ever. But yes, continue. Yeah, um, <laughs> well, he left me. Um, <laughs> um, what are, you know... One or two things you're watching for this week with the Raptors. I'm watching for O'Shea Brissett. We're going to get to see him <laughs> oh, yeah. twice, hopefully. It's and not what I was excited. expecting. <laughs> very excited uh, to see that. And also, obviously, the Orlando game is going uh, to be really interesting to watch the rookies. And also to see another another familiar face in, uh, in Terrence Ross. Uh, yeah, Terry. Terry time. Love Terry it's, time. Oh, my gosh. it's I'm, It won't be by the time this is airing, but... 
it's Sean Woodley's birthday today, and he is the biggest Terrence Ross fan that I think exists. So yeah, you could yay. you could you could call him if you feel negatively enough about Terrence Ross a Terrence Ross apologist. Maybe I'm not saying you should <laughs> feel I, I'm not saying you should feel that negative. I, I think Terrence, both in his time in Toronto, we love and, Terry. Like he he has his definite pros as a basketball player. He has some drawbacks. But yeah, the, the Terrence Ross experience was a fun one, but a complicated one. Um, but yeah, we'll see Terrence. Kind of uh, like the Rockers Ter- season. Terrence, Terrence the Captain Ross. Um, yeah, the, the one of the few veterans remaining with the Orlando Magic. Uh, Holly, episode one in the books. Uh, we're going to do this fairly frequently, hopefully reliably, as I said, early in the week. <laughs> Uh, but we'll come up to you, uh, next week at some point, the second episode of Jurassic Pod. Holly, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks. This is great. See ya! See ya!